Thank you, thank you so much. Your church is so beautiful. We've had such a powerful time this weekend, which we just wanna honor your church and join you in honoring your pastors and your leadership because it takes brave and bold pastors and leadership to bring people to talk about sexuality to your church. Especially <laughs> on a Sunday morning. It's often we come in for sex conferences. It's not often the pastor's willing to give us the Sunday morning. <laughs> So uh, let's just, can we give it up for Pastor Van and Laura and, and Wilson and Luke. What a great team you guys have here. And Jordan, man, Jordan's been working on this for a long time. Yes. And the trust to have in your youth pastor. And the youth pastor comes and says, can I bring in the sex pastors? And the pastor says yes to that. <laughs> so it says a lot about the, uh, the unity of your staff. It's really, it's been awesome. Such a blessing to be with you guys. It is. And Something our founder, Chris Valton, always says is when it comes to sexuality, we know the world has perverted it, but historically the church has either shamed or silenced it, but we believe the kingdom of God celebrates it. And so we want to celebrate God's original design for sexuality. We want to tell the world a better story about yep. sex, and that's why Moral Revolution exists. And this weekend, we actually got kicked off with Jen introducing uh, the ministry, and it was such a powerful testimony from even before Cole and I were a part oh, of yeah. it. Oh, yeah, Jen had me crying. Where I is know. Jen at? She it was me. so powerful. She said in 2014, after she had gone through a hard breakup, she was just living with moralrevolution.com on her phone because it is such a powerful ministry that started in 2009. And for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it exists to talk about all things sexuality from all different age ranges and perspectives because we know the conversation changes when we're talking to youth and young adults, to single and dating adults, to marriages, and then to parents. And we want to teach parents how, you know what, we think we can be a huge part of the solution in making the next generation have and enjoy healthy sexuality if it starts at the home and in the home and with healthy conversations and healthy family. So that's what we get to do and be a part of, and we are honored and humbled to do that. Yeah, we are. Normally we preach together, and then sometimes we just, all right, Lord, is there a specific message? And it felt like this morning... Um, a message God had laid on my heart was the message for this morning. So um, unfortunately for you, you're only going to hear from me. <laughs> We're much better when it's both of us and even, <laughs> even better when it's just her. Oh, but um, the Lord just loves you a little bit less because he's only oh giving you goodness. me this morning. Yeah. So oh um, you have to take that up with him. And uh, if you don't like what I have to say, well, I get to leave tomorrow. So <laughs> you can email Van at uh. vineyardnorthwest.com. <laughs> So I'm just going to pray for the word and our time together this morning. Yeah. Jesus, we pray that you would just open up our spirits, open up our minds to hear the word that you've put on Cole's heart. God, we pray that every word that comes forth is the words that are just anointed and given by you. And we thank you for this time together, God. We pray that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind and the words that are brought this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, babe. So one of, the, one of the big pieces, I want to show a couple things. We Really what Moral Revolution is doing and the way that we do the mission that Kate just shared is creating resources. Um, we're, we're beginning to build a pretty significant library online for content for parents, for leaders, for singles, for marriages. Um, and then also whether it's something we create ourselves or something that we find other partner ministries that are doing a really good job in that area and we think, awesome, no need to reinvent the wheel. Let's pull them in and let's bring in what they're offering and, and kind of bring all of it together. And so when you go to our website, you're not just gonna get stuff we've created, you're actually gonna see a lot of 
resources that other people have created, you can go to the search bar and say just search parenting, and there's a whole resource page for parents. Some, some of our stuff, some stuff that we've found, books that we've discovered. Uh, we, so, we have some hard copies for parents. We'd love to just, we have stuff out at our booth that isn't for sale, but just that you can look at, take a picture of, and you could order on Amazon that, that is really good books for kids. Um, starting to introduce, but I do want to highlight a couple things. I'm going to give one thing away this morning, but we've got um, two books. We only have a couple different books left. They kind of cleaned us out this weekend, um, but first we have this book called The Na- Naked Truth About Sexuality. Um, this is a book I recommend to everybody. This was written by our previous director, Havla Cunnington, that Caitlin and I replaced, and what she did here is she basically m- helped marry the Bible and science, uh, for a long time, it felt like it, you know, it was either like you could be smart or you could be spiritual. You couldn't be both, right? And, and actually, that doesn't, it doesn't actually even make biblical sense because if the Lord created the everything, the earth and everything in it, we know that. Well, that would mean science was his idea and that science was just the manifestation of his instructions. And so she does a really good job of helping unpack, okay, what's going on in your body when you're experiencing relationships and sexuality. And so this book is really significant. Um, So I recommend this. Um, The next one is a book that we're really proud of that our team has put together called Changed. These are stories of people that have left same-sex attraction or transgender lifestyles, who some even have transitioned and then transitioned back and said, actually, as I really got to know my identity in Christ, I realized this wasn't a part of my identity in Christ. And so these are just stories of people that have experienced that, have left that lifestyle and given their lives fully back to the Lord. And then you can go onto the website and there are hundreds of stories on the website. And so these are two books out there. What I'm gonna give away is a deck of cards this morning. Um, this is probably, can I hand these to you, babe? This is probably one of my favorite things. This is, these were, there's three different decks. These were created by a counseling couple that we know that we refer people to that do Zoom counseling out of Sacramento, California. They have a ministry called Dear Young Married Couple. And from their counseling sessions, they started creating these decks of cards. And they thought, man, we actually think a lot of people could do a little bit of work at home and some preventative work before they even have to call us. And so they have this pretty awesome deck of cards called Sexpectations. And uh, this is for young married couples. And for those that are married, you know, it takes, it may take some time to get things going when it comes to sex and in the bed. There's a lot to learn. You don't realize you have to learn. Like, where do you put your knees? And other things like that. And so uh, this is a really great starter. So I want to give this to any young married. Do we have anybody in the room that has been married for less than a year? Any young married folk married less than a year? All right, less than two years. I mean, you guys have so many babies around here. I mean, obviously you guys, maybe you guys don't even need these cards because you clearly... (laughs) Are, are fully equipped. How about less than three years? Oh, he's running now. He's, give me those cards. There we go. Enjoy, my friend. You don't want to pull those cards out at a coffee shop. That is the advice I would give you. Make sure you're at home when you pull those cards out. Um, Man, it, very excited to share this morning. Um, to be honest with you, I've got two different places we might, I have notes, and they're, I think I'm gonna add to those notes. I'm not gonna go over though, I promise you that. 
um, I promise, I give you my word, I will not go over. You will not be here longer than 1 p.m. I promise you that. Congratulations on the Bengals, by the way. It's exciting. I'm a Michigan fan, so I know the misery of not winning for a long time. And uh, so I relate. I mean, it wasn't 31 years for us. It took us 10 to beat Ohio, but congratulations on, on winning yesterday. And glad it's with Joe Burrow, who Ohio State rejected, you know. That's just... It's wonderful. It's just amazing. And it's like the two decades of Tom Brady, too, you know? So that's great. Michigan all around. And okay, Jesus, help me get focused. Um, I'm going to talk about family this morning and the importance of it. And I actually think that family is the prophetic answer for our culture right now. Uh, I think there's times where it's teaching or it's preaching. I think there's times where it's the church. I think the church is always a part of God's answer for culture, but I think right now specifically the Lord is highlighting family. And I don't know that there's ever been a more important time for this. Um, I'm really honored and excited today because my, my high school mentor, Tony, and Deborah are here on the front row with us. They, these, this couple... This, for those that heard our story on Friday night that know, like, I waited till I was married. I've never seen pornography. Caitlin's the only one I've ever said I love you to. Like, all of the things that have allowed me to have a great marriage were rooted with these two. These two are the reason that I am the man that I am today um, and that I get to have the marriage that I have. And I'm so grateful. For, oh, my goodness, I'm going to cry. I am just so thankful for your investment in me. And I'm so honored that you guys are able to make it and be here and see what we get to do because every person we touch is because of you. Like you're a part of every single message we preach and every church we go to and every person that we, I mean, we, and I, I don't like to brag about stuff, but we reach over 300,000 people every month with what we do and you touch, it's because of you. Every one of them is touched by you. And I'm so grateful for you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Woo. Okay, thank you for honoring them. They deserve every bit of that honor. And you know, it, it, you know, I spent weekends at their house, nights at their house, so much time for four years in high school and, and then a year or two after. I got my best sex talk ever from Tony the night before my wedding. Um, two hours. It was two hours. Uh, he knew this kid doesn't know anything. I, had a, I got two hours to tell him everything he needs to know. Uh, I'm not going to share those things with you right now. This is, yes, I would make some of you uh, walk out of the room perhaps. Those are, are private and needed conversations though. I will, for those that aren't married, I will tell you this one thing. When you get married and it's the wedding night, make sure there's a towel next to your bed. Uh, that much I'll just tell you. If you're married, you understand. You're welcome. That is some of the best advice you're going to get. But of all the conversations and all the moments, like when I was going through things, I would go to Tony's house and I would get their advice. And all of the, I don't remember probably the details of all of the conversations, but you know what I remember? I remember Aaron and Anthony in the living room wrestling around their kids. And I remember on a Saturday morning waking up after spending the night and, and making breakfast and eating eggs and Tony sitting at the kitchen table and the two of them laughing and watching the way Tony honored Deborah and the way Deborah honored Tony and getting to see really healthy family, a family that celebrated God's design, seeing family that celebrated sex inside of marriage, 
like the way that Tony talked to me and our and even our sex talks was in such a way of you wanted to create boundaries before you were married and then you wanted to remove every single boundary when you got married. You wanted to experience it the way God designed. And it was getting to watch them live their life that had the greatest impact. And it's, it's so fitting, like I'm saying this, they're here, but I actually talk about Tony and Debra almost every time I preach. Because watching them do what they did was a prophetic declaration for my life. I got vision for marriage and family because I watched their marriage and their family. And that's why I believe right now in this, gen I mean, it's so cool to have the living illustration here because this is right now, I believe the mandate of the church is to create healthy families. You know, when we travel and we talk about everything as it pertains to sex from transgender, homosexuality, pre-marriage, you know, like we've said, every, I mean, if there's a controversial topic, we are picking up that controversial topic. I mean, we're, we're almost intentionally trying to be targeted right now in this culture, and people will always want us to come in and give you the equation of how to fix this problem. What is the mechanism that fixes pornography? How do we address this? How do we address this? And I never am able to give people the answer they want because everybody wants the microwave quick fix. They would like us to come in, and, and even being a youth pastor, we were youth pastors for 13 years in Sacramento, California, and it was like the parents would come in and they'd be having this, I remember one time in particular, I'm, I'm, it's a Sunday morning, I'm down at the altar praying with people, and this mom just drags her son to me down the altar. <laughs> it's just like dragging him down, it brings him to me and says, I need you to help me with my son, he's disrespectful, he's this, and he, you know, she's just like all these things, and she's like, I need you to help, and then she leaves him in front of me and she goes back to her seat. <laughs> and I'm like... I'm thinking in my head, I can't in five minutes fix what you've done at home. Like, I can't do that. I wish I could. Like, if I could, I would be the richest pastor on the planet if I was able to do this. If I could fix brokenness from home in a five-minute conversation, whoo, I'd have a different house. I'd have a different car. And so I, you know, and I'm, thankfully this, this, this young man we built a strong relationship with and he's actually in ministry now to this day and we've, we've, we were able to over years, um, I knew, his name is Lonnie, I knew him when he was nine. Um, I actually just saw him last week again, he's 22 or 23. It's weird to think I've been a pastor for long enough to know somebody that is now in ministry. Um, I've married people that are having kids, I don't feel old enough to, to have done that but I've, I've been able to do that. But, you know, it's interesting because in our culture that's got everything at our fingertips, I think we're always looking for the fastest route to what we want. And then when you look around culture, I think we're in desperate need of an of a answer. And then when you get into a prophetic culture, like we come from in Bethel, and it's a miracle culture where we expect God to show up and to do the miraculous, there's another layer added onto that. And before we know it, we, don't, we realize that we have really short-sighted prayers that we pray. We have really short-sighted expectations of how we're going to get to healthy marriage or healthy relationship. And I believe that because of that, we're not sticking it through in some of the hard conversations and relationships in our life right now in culture. The church would love to blame some of the external issues and influences for all of the reason that things are falling apart. But I would come and challenge the church this morning. Because the state 
of the country and the society was often dependent on the state of the God-fearing people of God. They, the two were tied together. We see with King Asa, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. He's talking to the God-fearing, his people, weren't Christians yet, but the Israelites. He said, if you would turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal the land around you. The church loves to point out, ah, if they weren't influencing our kids, ah, if they weren't putting these things there. And I would, I would say that the church needs to point in and say, Father, where do we need to seek you more? What do we need to commit to internally so that what we've created here is a culture that's so appealing to them that they look at our health and they will do whatever it takes to come and experience what we experience. We can't blame the dark for being dark. We can't do that. But we do have to own when we're the light and we're not shining where we should be. We, Caitlin and I, when we were youth pastors and we had our first son, this was 10 years ago, there was a new show that had come out, um, The New Normal, I think it was. And it was you know, demonstrating a lifestyle that is not in alignment with God's truth. And we remember seeing the, the trailer for it and I immediately go to Kate, I go, we're gonna have to like become missionaries and move to Africa and get completely away from all of this influence. I mean, I, let's just be honest, how many of us have thought that or had temptations for that, right? Because we, 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 this tension between honoring God, loving God, serving God, consecrating ourselves for God and yet being in a culture that isn't, there's a tension there of how we walk that out. And my, my, just my second nature response was we have to remove ourselves from it. And immediately the Lord convicted me. And he said, 1 John 4, 4. Greater am I who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater am I who is in you than he who is in the world. Do you not believe that verse? And I said, no, I, I believe it. And he goes, well, then why would you run from the giants? Why would you run from the giants if you believe that I truly, no matter what we see around us, if what in you is greater than what's around you, why would you ever make your decisions based on what's around you? And, and we, I mean, we're from the Midwest. I've had so many people in our lives. Why have, why have you guys got to leave California? Why are you living in California? What is wrong with you? Get out of there. I think that that's the problem that Jonah had internally. And I'm not necessarily calling California Nineveh because honestly, the weather's pretty great. It's much better than here, I will say that. It's a promised land in that sense. I want to read in Luke for a moment. If you would go to Luke 24, I know this is my first time at this church, but I feel comfortable to challenge you because it feels that we're from of the same spirit. And I never preach to get invited back anyways. So <laughs> I just realized in my line of work, you can't really preach to get invited back because we're, you know, we're, gonna make, we're gonna make somebody feel uncomfortable. So can I challenge the church this morning? I want to challenge us to think a little bit different. Chapter 24, verse 13, is where this passage starts. I'm actually going to jump up to verse 
17 and just read a portion of it, but to give some context, Jesus is just... Um, rose from the dead, but nobody realizes that yet besides the women. And then there's these two disciples, they're not named, and they're walking to Emmaus, and Jesus comes up alongside of them and starts to, to dialogue with them. And, and the conversation goes like this. He asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood with their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened the, here these three days? And Jesus says, what things? They said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers had handed, handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I want to pause here for a moment. We had hoped he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. I mean, this is a warning for where we're at right now. See, their perspective was all about the Roman taxation, the government control, government overreach. And they had got so fixated on their external earthly problems that they misunderstood the entire purpose of Jesus in their life. We had hoped he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Well, that's exactly who he was. But they had become so fixed on what was the spirit on the outside that they had lost sight of the spirit on the inside. And then they were walking with Jesus. They were in this conversation where they were walking for two miles and weren't even able to recognize him. I will tell you right now, I've been raised in the church. I, I don't remember getting saved. I've always been saved. I remember moments with the Holy Spirit and warmth over my mouth at five years old. I have always been with the Lord, but I hope that I will never be in a state where I could be walking in the presence of God and not recognize him because I'm so focused on the earthly that I can't see the heavenly. Because whatever's going on right now externally, there is a spiritual answer and solution that I believe the Lord is waiting to reveal to those who are willing to seek it. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I think the solutions to these greatest problems are on, on the other side of Christians no longer being distracted where we're willing to dedicate ourselves to a lifelong commitment of honoring God and not getting tied up with the things that easily pull our hearts away. In Psalms 23, where he says, we, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. We're in that place right now where it is, it's time for us to to really search ourselves and to call out the giant killers that are inside of us. To stand up for what we believe in a powerfully compassionate way to invite others in to the depth of relationship with him. You know, being, knowing what we know, Caitlin and I spend the majority of our time studying and understanding human sexuality. Um, we don't have degrees. Uh, if, if I wish that, you know, I, 
I go back and forth. I was, I was given advice from my, our associate pastor at the church I grew up with to, to go to a master's commission program, and, um, which I did, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the path I've been on. If I could go back, I'd get a psychology degree because of the, the way that humanity works. And so I'm a, I would say that I'm an amateur psychology studier. Like I just read and study psychology and the way humans work in brains and our minds and the way that we function. And because of what we know, my poor children have had to learn about things much earlier than they would have liked to learn about them. I remember the first time I read the statistic that the average kid finds pornography between eight and 11 years old and I thought my oldest is eight. Poor kid. He's gonna have a conversation with mom and dad quicker than he wants to have a conversation because I will not give the power of first mention to anybody else besides me. I will make sure the power of first mention in my home will be through biblical perspective and God's design for covenant and relationship and sexuality. And so, you know, we've taught, we started talking early with our boys and we shared this story yesterday, but my, my older two boys, Kate overheard them talking one day in the, in the house and the, the second son, my second son is the agitator. He's like his father. He just, like, he loves the message that gets people uncomfortable. And he's running around the house going, sex, 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 just trying to get Caleb all upset. And Caleb, Caleb goes, Connor, sex isn't a bad word. And Caitlin starts to, to listen to the, com- you know, like it was you, the parent, you're trying to hear without them knowing you're hearing because then they change what they're saying. You know, or like my daughter loves to sing and dance in front of the mirror. I love watching her do it, but the moment she sees me, she gets mad. So I try to like sneak watch her. But Ka- Caitlin kind of sneaks in the conversation and K- Caleb goes, yeah, it's not a bad word. God made sex. It's a good thing. It's just that some people have misused sex. <laughs> and we're like... I mean, I'm probably failing at every other area of parenting, but we're winning this area right here. Like, it felt like someone should come into the house in that moment and give us a trophy. We are the sex parents, and we have won a trophy for being those parents, right? And then he goes, Connor, Connor's like, oh, and Caleb goes, yeah, but when you get to high school, a lot of girls are gonna wanna do it to you. And he's like, what, why? Like, Connor was actually like, like devastated at this thought. I mean, Connor was like six or seven years old, right? He's like, no, not that. And Caleb goes, well, because you're really handsome, Connor. And we've just worked really hard in our house to try not to make sex this idea that it's a talk one time or it's this uncomfortable thing. No, this is God's design for marriage. And because it's God's design, there's healthy boundaries around it so we can preserve it to experience the way God designed it. Wouldn't it be, make the most sense that you use the gifts the way the creator designed them to be used because he would know best? And so when you look at where we're at right now in our culture, we, we're, we're seeing a very distorted view of sexuality. And I, this is where the challenge comes in this morning. If I could challenge all of us in this room to make our new number one priority, fighting for the health of our home. Fighting for the health of our home has always been critical, but it's never been as critical as it is right now. When we, as, I, as I was getting to a minute ago, we come in and, and people a lot of times want the X's and the O's. Give me the five-step formula to fix my child. Give me the, the five-step 
formula to get free of pornography. Give me the five-step. And, and they give all of these, they want all of these things. And, and I, if I had it, I would give it to you. I promise if I had that five-step formula, I would give it to you. But there isn't necessarily a five-step formula, but there is an, a game plan. And the game plan is I created you to operate inside of family and covenant. And when you're operating inside of family and covenant, your children will have identity. And when your children will have identity, they'll have strength to say no to what they should say no to. They'll be empowered to say yes to what they need to say yes to when strength and identity are given. You see, family gives a powerful sense of identity. My, uh, we're very blessed. I'm one of five and all five of my, all four of my siblings love the Lord. My, fam- my parents love the Lord. And because of that, it's just really cool. I see the sense of identity that my children have. Not just that they gain from Caitlin and I, but that they gain from uncles and aunts. Last weekend, my brother, who's a pastor, was preaching down in Los Angeles, and he's preaching at a middle school and high school retreat, and my, my oldest son, who's a sixth grader, he's a middle schooler, flew down on his own. He flew for the first time on his own, and he flew down to LA to spend the weekend with my brother as my brother was preaching at this middle school retreat. And he came back and we opened, he's got his journal, he's got notes he was taking. He goes, Dad, Uncle John did so good. He texted me, Uncle John's doing so good, Dad. He's such a good preacher. And, and he's writing down all these notes. And he, it, and, and he comes back and he's, without him realizing it or being conscious of it, you know what he's learning? He's learning identity. My brother was traveling with his wife and his two kids. And so John, Caleb was with John and Alicia and both of their kids all weekend staying in their Airbnb. He, he, he may not remember the message that John preached 20 years from now, but he'll remember how he watched my brother treat his aunt. He'll remember how he watched Alicia engage with my brother, he'll, he'll, he'll remember how John and Alicia parented Oliver and Emerson. Those are the things that I remember that stick out the most from the people that have had the greatest influence on my life. The greatest prophetic declaration that my brother gave last weekend, whether he prophesied or preached or preached prophesied, still his greatest prophetic declaration last weekend was the way he parented and he husbanded. You wanna know the answer for all of the sexual brokenness in our culture? is us proving that the Bible is real and that covenant is the way that sex was to be experienced. It's very confusing for the world when the church says, well, you're supposed to wait till you're married to have sex. This is the way God designed it. But then they look in the church and that we're living broken lives as well. And you're like, well, that's a very heavy statement because we're all broken. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that there's ever this, this pursuit of perfection but there is a call to holiness that isn't a very popular message to be preached in our generation. And I would challenge my generation, millennials and under, to remind us that we are called to obedience. I fear that my generation is so scared of legalism that we're no longer obedient to the cross. Obedience and legalism are not the same. And if we've ever lived in legalism, I would challenge us on this step. That would be because we haven't pursued relationship because the closer I get to Jesus, the more I want his input on how I should live. The closer I get to the Lord, the more in his presence I am, the more I get to know how good my father is, the more I want voices telling me what I should be doing and what I'm missing and pointing out my blind spots and telling me when I haven't honored my wife the way I should have honored him or telling me when I haven't parented. The closer I get to the Lord, the more humble I become and the more I want outside influence in how to become a better dad, a better husband, a better man, a better human. 
So if we've struggled in seasons of legalism or religiosity, I would put it back on ourselves and say, perhaps we've lost sight of relationship in those seasons. Because the closer I am to my wife, the easier it is to receive her critiques and vice versa. When we're distant and she comes and says, hey, you, you said this today and I didn't like it. I'm like, yeah, well, you said this yesterday. Right? Like if you look at it, for those that are married, you look at your marriage, it's like the weeks that we're strong and we're close and we're connected and we spent time after the kids finally fell asleep at midnight. Man, bedtime, I just take a minute. Bedtime is like the worst time. Bedtime is awful. Like I am the worst parent for that hour of the day. I'll tell you that right now. I'm just gonna confess to you that is the worst hour of my parenting. If you saw a window into bedtime, you would not let me preach. <laughs> Might not go that far, but it feels like it sometimes. But even if you look at relationship in a, in a marriage, the more connected we are, the better we're able to make each other. When I'm connected, when, when, we, when we're exhausted, finally the kids go to bed and they, they fall asleep and you're exhausted, and you're like, I, wanna, I know I should talk, but I wanna just watch a TV show because my brain is hurting right now. When we've made the commitment to sit and talk, we open ourselves up to hearing from each other. And then, and now we can actually make ourselves better. We can grow together. We get to, we, she gets to make me better. I get to make her better. During those weeks when we're not connected and we've been rushing and running and going and there's been no time for depth or connection and she comes and says, hey, I don't really like it when you did that. Immediately my defenses go up. Our, our own, my own marriage can feel religious at times if I haven't fought for depth of relationship. And so I would invite you into a deeper relationship with the Lord if, what, if you have begun to believe what our culture says, which is this is a bunch of rules that are outdated and we're not able to live up to, and these are archaic and these are religious, and, and it's, it's old purity culture to tell people to wait until they're married to have sex. It's old purity culture no, the reason that our generation is beginning to think that is because I believe that we're losing our relationship with the Lord. Because when we're, in, when, the, the, when we're in close depth of relationship with the Holy Spirit, we realize how good of a daddy is and how really good dads don't let you cross the street without holding hands. Really good dads don't let you have cookies for every meal. Really good parents make you wear a coat when you go outside. Part of being a really good father and a really good mother is creating really good boundaries that protect because they know there's a bigger vision ahead that you can't yet see. Man, when I think about the protective mechanisms that I, were built into my life when I was in high school, it, I wasn't envisioning my four kids right now. I wasn't envisioning a healthy marriage, but thank goodness other people could see into the future for me. Thank goodness other people could see into the future for me and help me create the right boundaries in my life that I would be able to honor my marriage long before I was in it. And so here we go, what do we do now? Here we, we're sitting in a room, we have marriages represented, we have broken marriages represented, we have current pain, past pain, you have all of this stuff and this is the bride, you are the bride, you are the picture, you are the living proof of the gospel. We are the living, walking proof of the gospel. 
millennials, my generation and under, are getting married at a lower rate than ever before. Time Magazine reported that 30% of millennials will likely never marry. Baby boomers, 91% married. So only 9% of baby, boober, baby boomers never married. 30% of millennials will never marry. The reason is that they've lost their faith in marriage. This was a, a quote from that Time Magazine article. It says, rather than having only one choice to marry the same old way or not to marry, let's get a little imaginative and come up with the material options that would be better suited to a variety of people, including a short-term trial union for younger couples, a child-rearing marriage for those who would like to do nothing more than co-parent, or a socially acceptable live-apart arrangement. See, what wins the news stories are the agendas that are out there, are the big picture, but when you break it down to the root and you look at God's intentional design, why did God refer to himself as Father? The book of John, Jesus referred to him as Father over a hundred times. Why? Because he was trying to reveal himself as a dad. And they built us into family structures on purpose so that our children would be raised in a home with a father and a mother to demonstrate to them the nature of God and the desired depth of relationship that he wants to have with us. When it's done by God's design, there's such depth of relationship that when a child screws up, he doesn't think, I don't want my parents to know. He says, I gotta go talk to my mom and dad because they'll know how to fix this. And so when that is operating the way that God designed it, people look from the outside in and they say, how do I get that? That's the picture for sexuality. That's the picture for marriage. That's God's design. And so I would encourage you right now in this moment as we close here to ask yourself this, what is your individual personal mandate to prophetically live out healthy family? What is your individual mandate to prophetically live out healthy family? And you say, oh, you're from Bethel. You have to add prophetic to everything just so that you can be from Bethel. No, I really truthfully believe it. If you understand what prophecy is, prophecy is foretelling and foretelling. It's looking to the future. It's a declaration of what's to come. And I believe that as we live out healthy families, we're declaring that health and wholeness is to come to our country and our nation. That health and wholeness is to come. And you say, well, I'm, I'm single, I'm not married yet. I didn't tell you to figure out what your mandate is for marriage. I asked you to ask the Lord, what is your mandate for healthy family? How can you with your life declare healthy family just with your lifestyle? Our mandate is clear. We're married, we're in covenant, we have four kids. I hope that 40 years from now, not I hope, I know that 40 years from now, the greatest message I'll ever have preached is my family. And we make decisions for that. We say no to ministry stuff, we shut things down. I've coached nine or 10 different sports of my kids over the last four years. Sports I never even played. But my kids wanted to play it and I wanted to be their coach because I wanted... I want them to remember dad involved and engaged and caring about what I care about. 
What's your prophetic mandate for family? What is the individual calling that you have to demonstrate how good and real God is? Because he gave us families to declare who he is. And the enemy knows that. The enemy knew a long time ago, I'm not gonna be able to ruin the name God. I'm not gonna be able to disgrace the name God. But you know what I can do? If I can ruin the name Father, if I can ruin the name Father in, a, in culture, when they open the Bible and see God refer to himself as Father, they'll have so much emotional baggage that they won't even be able to come to him as Dad. And then you look, I remember comedy shows that I'd watch when I was growing up, or you think of The Simpsons where Homer is just this buffoon. Like, what kind of picture of a dad is Homer Simpson? And this, I mean, The Simpsons are still in culture. I'm like, when will this die? Can we please kill this? And then you watch different shows where the dad is a beer-drinking, football-watching, disengaged dad. I love watching football. I'm not even knocking that. I'm a football watcher. This isn't a, a, a knock on that, but then you begin to watch and you look at the way they, per, they portrayed fathers for the last 30 years. That's by intentional design. They want us to believe that dads are disengaged, not there, too busy with everything else. And unfortunately, it has been the reality for a lot. And so if the enemy's goal is to destroy family and ruin the name father in the home, what would the solution be? Let's create healthy family. Man, if people walked into our church and got to see healthy family on a daily basis, we wouldn't have 30% of millennials that have lost their faith in marriage because we've demonstrated the beauty of marriage. One of the things that we do and, and that we shout from the rooftops is that the church needs to start celebrating sex in marriage, even on Sunday mornings from the pulpit. Because our children are being raised hearing about sexuality everywhere else. Sex is being celebrated outside of the church. The music that, that, that is being played, the, the things that they're watching, and then the narrative is you come into the church and it's, oh, shh, we don't, don't say the S word in here. We don't talk about S-E-X here. Don't talk about it until you're married. And then when you're married, talk about it quietly like I'm doing right now. <laughs> and definitely don't talk about sex with your pastor. Like your pastor. You don't talk about sex with your pastor. You talk about like, like the Mechizedekal, Hezekiah, and you're the Old Testament prophets. But don't talk about Sex with your pastor. <laughs> and we've we've begun to believe these lies that that the sex the message on sex is that the church's message. Well, how could it not be the church's message if God designed it and created? It's not like when Adam and Eve had sex for the first time, God was like, oh, those parts do that? I didn't, I didn't know those fit that way. Gabriel, can you believe this? No, God did that on purpose. Why? So two individuals would become one. And then that oneness would represent his desired oneness with us. 
And that when we would experience that the way God designed it, it would be a supernatural declaration of God's goodness and his desired intimacy with us. And that when they come in from the outside into our churches with brokenness, they would look around and they would see oneness in our churches. They would see people that want to wear masks and people that don't loving each other. They would see people that are vaccinated and people that aren't loving each other. Dare I say it, they would see Republicans and Democrats in the same church loving each other, demonstrating oneness. And before we've ever even opened a Bible, they would understand the word of God because we showed it to them when we worked with them. We showed it to them when we were on sports teams with their children. We demonstrated it when our kids shared a classroom with their kids. And they watched the way we talked to ours and it was different than the way they talked to, the, to theirs. And we shared with them the vulnerability of our divorce and they watched and they listened the way, to the way that we honored our ex, even in those painful conversations. And they watched the way we navigated confrontation and they watched that we didn't allow relational separation to happen because of political differences. And before we know it, five years, six years, 10 years into relationships, when they're going through, they're saying, hey, you are really calm. How are, how are you not angry like the rest of us right now? How, because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And so I, I don't have the luxury to allow the world to anger me because I have a greater spirit in me that has enabled me to be in depth of relationship regardless of the divisions that are going on around me. You want the answer for the sexual generation? The answer for this generation is the health and wholeness of family. When we are operating in, the relation, in our relationships the way God has called us to operate, we will demonstrate to the world how good he is and who he wants to be. I ask you to bow your heads. I'm not gonna actually have a response this morning and have you come up. The response is to go out. And I would ask you in your seat to ask the Lord to reveal to you what your personal assignment is to demonstrate healthy family. What is your personal assignment? Maybe step one is to go forgive a family member. Hmm. Maybe step one is to forgive a family member. And a family member that maybe doesn't deserve forgiveness. One time when I was struggling to forgive my dad, my, the Lord said to me, righteous men do what's right, not what they have the right to do. So Father, I pray for personal mandates to be delivered right now, for personal assignments to be received. Whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we were, were once married, whether we're the son, the daughter, the father, the mother, the grandparent. Oh man, can we take a moment and just 
Father, will you just release a special anointing on grandparents? Grandparents play such an important role in our generation of giving identity to our children, of giving identity to our kids, the legacy and the generations that they represent. Father, will you give grandparents value and purpose and help them to see how important they are? I pray that you would help the children to see how important their parents are in their, their children's lives. God, help the sons and the daughters to see the importance of their parents in their children's lives, Father. So Holy Spirit, give assignment. Give assignments right now as we walk out of here today of what we're to do to demonstrate your goodness through the health of our homes. In Jesus' name, amen.